and welcome to a new episode of From the Honeycomb Podcast. I am your host, Katerina Burenova. Each week, we dive into a blend of topics that resonate with the soul. Whether you're an architect enthusiast, have a passion for wanderlust, want to discover holistic approaches to rejuvenate your body and mind, or are intrigued to learn about Vastu Shastra with a modern approach, you've come to the right place. Join me as I sit down with inspiring, like-minded women from various walks of life. We will delve into their journeys to discuss the challenges and moments that define their paths. So sit back, relax, and let the spark of positive energy ignite your curiosity. Today, I am joined by Elle Larson, a realtor certified in feng shui, a design consultant and sound practitioner. Elle has been studying and practicing healing modalities for over 20 years and is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to offering remedies for mitigating stress and support healing within our built environment. Elle, welcome to From the Honeycomb Podcast. Hi, thank you very much. I'm super happy to be here. Super happy to have you on. And as you know, we begin every episode by sharing something that we are grateful for in the present moment. So what are you grateful for? My family. I mean, I know a lot of times it's a cliche answer, but I think it's cliche for a reason. (laughs) Just really grateful for the family that I was born into and the family that I've welcomed into my life. So I love that. And especially now I know we're recording around the holidays and I think that too. And, And do you live near your family? I don't actually know. My parents were just here for my birthday though. So that was, oh, we had a yes. lot of fun, oh, yes. but no, I don't live any, I don't live close to any of my, you know, my immediate family. Yeah. So it's extra special when they come and visit. Mm-hmm. Very nice. So El, share with the listeners your story about how you came to learn about feng shui and kind of where you are today. Yeah. So I dabbled in feng shui for several years. I've got a background in various holistic practices. I spent a long time teaching yoga, practicing yoga, and then from there studied Ayurveda and Reiki, sound healing. And then kind of during that time, I dabbled a little bit in feng shui. I'm one of those people who I would always rearrange, not always, but I would definitely like rearrange people's speaker configuration at their house (laughs) if I didn't think that their speakers were like, if I didn't like the sound of the room, you know, Mm -hmm. they'd get up and go to the bathroom, maybe I'd angle their speakers in a different way. Or so I've always been very kind of attuned into the sound of spaces. And in addition to that, also, you know, we go to a restaurant and I would always have like ideas of how they could change the design also with acoustics, you know, some baffling in there. but just, I've always enjoyed architecture and design. So that's those two interests colliding between this, you know, desire to really help support people through holistic health and then interest in interior spaces and exterior spaces. It kind of all came together when I decided to see how I could apply concepts of health and balance from holistic practices and modalities to the built environment. As a sound practitioner, it's wonderful for me to support clients like on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. But I thought if I could really support their home spaces, then that's daily interventions that they're getting, you know, positive health interventions that they're getting. So that was another thing that kind of pushed me to study feng shui. And that's so true. I think people don't realize like, you know, we can have our certain rituals throughout the day, but our built environment has such an impact on us and the energies around. And I know the fun thing that you and I have collaborated on is, and kind of how we started talking is 
I study Vastu Shastra and you study Feng Shui. And we both kind of were like, this is so amazing to talk about, you know, how the energies affect the home. And then we collaborated looking at a floor plan together, which I'll provide a link in the show notes for that conversation we had where we compared Vastu and Feng Shui. And I know some of my listeners are more familiar with Vastu. So that's also one reason I was very excited to have you come on and talk about Feng Shui, because that I would say is more well-known in the Western cultures than Vastu is. And so my question would always, what is Vastu? I'm like, well, I think it's similar to feng shui. And now I know based on our, our conversation, but what is it about feng shui that really caught your interest? So there's so much about feng shui and as with Vastu where you, and there's a lot of different practices, whether it's different parts in China or different parts in India that they might have slightly different practices or they're, you know, with feng shui, they might be very, you know, one branch might be very interested in astronomy or or I'm sorry, astrology, or so first of all, I kind of had to narrow down my interest in feng shui. And one of the driving elements for me is connection with nature and connection to the elements, which is a thread that kind of pulled through from my studies in Ayurveda and realizing that using this archetypal system for the elements and applying them to the human condition or the human relationships or you know, what is the energy of an activity or something? For me, it just provided this really, really logical archetype system to help, you know, diagnose and prescribe might not be quite the right word, but to assess and recommend, I guess would be, you know, the best way to say it is to assess what a situation is and then give recommendations. So because feng shui encompasses that, I was like, oh, this, once I kind of understood that, I really wanted to practice a system that embedded that elemental theory in Taoism it's it's called wuxing and it's I might not have pronounced that exactly correctly but wuxing and it's not the elements in a static form it's basically the cycle and the relationships between the elements but because that was already very ingrained in me and how I look at myself and how I look at the world and then noticing that it was also very much ingrained in feng shui I thought oh I can very easily apply you know this method of thought to this and again for me it's a very organic way to operate of you know, seeing a client and assessing them in elemental terms and kind of seeing what other elements could be used to balance or support them. So that's one of the main drivers that did, um, you know, really linked me up with, with feng shui practice. And I have a question that I just kind of thought of is, do you, when you enter a space, does your mind already start like figuring out how you can rearrange something. I know you mentioned earlier, like in the episode where like you walked into a restaurant with the acoustics, but like, cause I've started to notice that with like, when I'm looking at a floor plan and even on a project I'm designing that hasn't, doesn't have to do with Vastu. And I'm already starting to think like, I wonder if they just moved this or if this is a little different. So it seems like you kind of already have started to do that or you've been doing that. Yeah, totally. And of course, like sometimes I try to turn it off. And then if people ask me like, oh, well, what did you think about that? I'll just, you know, maybe give a very blanket response because, you know, because at the end of the day, and I'm sure you realize you, this is your experience too. Like, I don't want to just give an instant response to something. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of sit back and assess the whole property in the area, but I totally do that. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of marinate in it too. And I think, cause what we've talked about in the conversation we've had looking at the floor plans is like, because the energies move and like, they're not tangible around us. Like you, you can't physically see them, you can feel them. And so you can't just, it's not a, you know, prescription one fix will fix everything, which it seems like in feng shui, it seems like there's different remedies you can do and then it's also not an instant, you know, result if you start changing something, which I know we talked about, you know, clients' expectations and like 
do they think that just by applying certain principles, we can fix every issue in their life, but that's not possible. Right. Correct. Yeah. Now, so how have you combined then feng shui and your sound practitioner together? That's a little bit, I mean, I I definitely bring sound into feng shui because Uh usually with clients, there's some aspect of you know, some type of space clearing Mm -hmm. or some type of ceremony. So then I always bring sound instruments and I was even doing space clearings with sound before I started practicing feng shui. So that's a great way to kind of integrate them. I would like to do more work with the sound of spaces and working with acousticians and talking about like, what should this space feel like on a sonic level? Because that always changes, you know, you walk into a room and it's got a high ceiling or you walk into a room and has a low ceiling and okay, that's a very different spatial experience, but that's also really, really really different environment for the sound to operate within. So, so that's very, very interesting to me. That actually kind of was the first thing that got me into this direction of wellness design consulting was being super niche and super nerdy about how do spaces sound and how do spaces feel based on the acoustics. Obviously that is, who knows, maybe that direction will manifest at some point, but again, it's, it's super niche right now. So that's when I kind of just opened it up into practicing feng shui and then other aspects of wellness design consulting. So as of now, like some of my sound clients, maybe I'll recommend or ask them what their home space is like, or if they feel that their home could better support them. But I do bring sound into the feng shui. Oh, and then there's also feng shui of sound. So considering what are some elements that you can bring into your living space that have a sonic quality, obviously wind chimes and fire features and water features are big, but also maybe planting certain trees outside of your window that attract birds so you can hear nature or, you know, the rustling of the wind of the the leaves through the breeze. So there's definitely aspects of sound that you can bring into feng shui to change a space that way too. That is so true. I didn't think about how bringing in something like different plants or trees and like, I love the sound of wind chimes and that's so true. Or even like, you know, a bubbling brook and like you have a koi pond and a waterfall I know at your home. So I'm sure that has just an incredible sound. For sure. Yeah. And then even like pathway material, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're doing some landscaping project, what is the sound of this path going to be like? It's going to be significantly different if it's pavers versus gravel, right? So what is the sonic experience? If you want a more organic sonic experience walking through your backyard, you know, you would choose maybe like a, a DG or rocks or something like that. So you can hear that versus this, you know, more, you know, concrete or pavers or so there's a lot of ways that you can just really subtly consider sound in those in those aspects. Wow, sound is one of the senses I don't think about when designing. Now that you mentioned like it you wouldn't like yeah, I would just think okay, well, you know, what's the ground, you know, in the backyard? How does it look? How does it feel? You know, are you on stone? Are you on grass? Like but what do you smell? But sound, that is really interesting. That's such a great perspective. I'm definitely going to think about that more often now. Like what does it sound like when you enter the space? Yeah. And that's, again, that's kind of what got me into this whole wellness design mm-hmm. direction. I'm like, people don't think about how spaces sound like, okay, they do in the, in the aspect of noise mitigation where it's like, how can we keep outside sounds from coming in street noise and things like that? So insulation, but they really don't think about it beyond noise mitigation. And honestly, there's a lot of really cool design interventions that you can do that aren't going to cost that much more to make it to maybe change the sound of a space. So yeah, that's again, very niche, very nerdy. There's several books that I just obsessed about and, you know, read them. And and I was like, I think I need to open this up a little (laughs) bit more into like, you know, general well-being instead of just like, what do the sound of spaces sound like, but, or what do spaces sound like? But yeah, that's kind of what got me on this trajectory was my work with sound. 
Interesting. And would you ever write a book? Like, have you found like some, like where you're like, oh, I wish I had like a book that incorporated multiple things into one? You know, I think that's probably on the docket at some point and I don't know exactly what it will all entail. You know, I'm sure it'll be heavy on the elements as well. And then again, each different sounds relate to different, you know, elemental strategies. So the sound of fire is much different than the sound of water and they, you know, incite different things in us. So very true. And I want to ask you one thing. So we originally met for the AWA plus D, which is a women's architecture organization in LA. And we were on a small business firm, like coffee Zoom call. And you mentioned something that you do as well is you do like rituals for when like the foundation is poured. That incredibly fascinates me because I know that you can do it in Bostu. I have no idea how to find out about it here in the U.S. I'll probably have to go to India one day, which is my dream, and experience one of those ceremonies. But can you share with us like what one of those ceremonies looks like and what why it's so important, like even at the beginning of the stages of of a project, to incorporate the rituals? It's not just right after you know everybody's built the house and then contractors leave, but even construction there is a ritual to it. Yeah, this is something that I like I think is really really important because we don't consider or many people don't really consider their relationship with the land that mm-hmm. they live on. And it goes back to really honoring the people who lived on this land before us. Most of us have not owned this have owned the land for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. There's a whole host of phenomenal land keepers that tended to the land that we live on for a long long time. And honestly, a lot that happens in construction and building is very aggressive and very, very detrimental to the land. And, you know, I come from a little bit more of an animist. I'm, you know, so I come from the thinking that communing with the land and just kind of sharing energy with the land and the trees and spaces around us and the natural environment around us. So I really think it's important to convey our intentions with the land ahead of it. So that can happen through ceremonies. And there's a lot of different types of ceremonies that you can conduct. So I'll conduct land blessings, space clearings, land ceremonies, groundbreaking ceremonies. You know, they all have a slightly different intention, but kind of the crux of it is listening to the land, regarding the land, and spending some time in meditation with the space before you're going to build on it. And then sharing your intentions with the land and doing some sort of reciprocative blessing ceremony with it where you're infusing whether it's your energy or you know maybe soil from very very rich healthy soil into the land or or some sort of ceremony where you're creating this relationship with the land and the most important thing is to spend time listening to it and that isn't chances are you're not going to be one of those people where the land is like hey what's up this is what i want to have happen no you should build a house over there likely that's not going to happen but you might get signals on some other level And signals in the sense of like, are there dead spots in the land? Are there, is grass not growing in this one part? Is what's happening? Is there dead animals found on the land? So kind of listening to some of those cues. And I pull from a bunch of different traditions for these. I don't, I think that it's really important for these ceremonies that they're very specific to the clients and to the space. And it's something that everybody feels comfortable doing. Like for me, it doesn't make sense to just, take a scripted land ceremony from somebody else's tradition and then use it if it doesn't have any meaning to, you know, the owners or the people who are going to be building on the land. I think it needs to be very kind of specific and and crafted around them. So they feel that, so they have some buy-in to it. Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of times we'll start out maybe with a space clearing 
walking around the land with incense or, you know, some sort of scent, yes, scented incense. And then also walking around with sound. There's, you know, we've brought water in for for land ceremonies, sprinkling water in different areas, usually bringing in the four directions. So honoring the north, south, east, west, the sky and the land, the sky and the ground. So they really vary, again, depending upon the client and everyone is specially crafted. And what I'm going to start doing with my land ceremonies is basically a bulk of the fee for the land ceremony will be made as a donation to whatever is the indigenous organization that is on whatever piece of land they are. So, you know, obviously in LA County, it's mostly Tongva. So donating to a Tongva organization, and then just like a very small part of the fee for my time. But I think it's really important to, you know, dedicate a lot of energy to the space that we're, that's basically supporting us. Like, what would we be without the earth? Really? I mean, no food, no water. So that's kind of my, you know, where I get really passionate about doing things like land ceremonies and space mm-hmm. clearing. No, it's, it's, I'm doing a site analysis for a project right now. And you have me thinking like, yeah, I've done the zoning. So I know, you know, what part of the property I can build on. But later this week, I'm meeting with the clients and you're already making me think about like, okay, after our client meeting and after we've kind of looked at, you know, the floor plan, I want to spend time in that space and kind of really get a sense of, because this is going to be there, even though it's like an ADU, it'll be like, they're going to move into it and that'll be their space. And so I want to make sure, because I, I really resonate with everything that you said, and especially focusing in on the land. And I think in construction, aggressive is the perfect word you used. I mean, construction is aggressive, especially when it means new foundations, especially along where I work along the coast. I mean, you are digging deep down. The footings are huge. I mean, I always think about like, I wonder what like the earth is thinking what, when we're doing, when we're putting in these piles, when we're putting in these like concrete columns, like how is it affecting just even just the energy of the land b- below us? So I love that you're taking this into like you're you are taking the site and the land so much into consideration. Yeah, I mean, it's not that it's got nerve endings, you know, right. the earth doesn't have nerve endings, so it's not going to scream out ouch, but there's a huge component of would you go into somebody's kitchen and just start rooting around in their refrigerator? Right. And taking things out of their fridge? Like, probably not, you know. So, having a little bit of that same consideration with this land that suddenly you've purchased and are going to start digging into and building on, at least like, and I've, I've heard stories, this hasn't happened to me in my own personal experience, but I've, I've heard stories of people who have conducted land ceremonies and they've gotten specific information, like something's happened, very obvious where it's like, oh, this might be the wrong direction. Like maybe we shouldn't build here. Mm-hmm. And then something unfortunate happened, you know, and it was maybe there was a sinkhole or, or something to that effect where they're like, oh yeah, we kind of got some intuition or got some hints that maybe this wasn't the best place to do this. So I think it's, you know, it's important to, to just kind of confer with the, with our space around us and, and see if we can get any insight. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's interesting too, like we both live in Southern California, which is just high density areas. And so sometimes when we think about land, especially, you know, I grew up here in Southern in Orange County, in suburbia, where it's a lot of, you know, the cookie cutter houses and, you know, pretty green lawns and stuff. But now thinking about how, when they were developing all of this land, had they, you know, had ceremonies or or kind of checked in with the land as well. It's definitely interesting, especially because we are both in California and and the housing crisis and thinking about land and the cost of land. So it's definitely an interesting, interesting perspective. 
And do you see clients reaching out to you then for these site ceremonies? Or is this something that you kind of offer as well? Or you mention that you offer? It's a combination. So a lot of times, so I've had a couple of feng shui clients specifically where I highly, highly recommended doing specific land ceremonies in addition to a space clearing, because Mm -hmm. whether it was some very strong predecessor chi that was going on and predecessor chi is what happened on the property before they lived there. Like what is the history of the property? So predecessor chi that we just wanted to like see how we could clear it. Also with like severe kind of shapes in the land. So because feng shui likes regular shapes, so they like squares and rectangles, but significant maybe lines in the land or certain certain patterns or orientations of the land where it's like, oh, we we might want to energetically kind of shift it this way. Or you're going to be doing one client, for instance, they had their property and then they bought an additional strip of property. So we did a whole integration ceremony because it felt very disparate. It felt like, you know, there was definitely like this side versus this side. So we did an integration ceremony to kind of bring the two parcels of land together energetically. I like that. I know I know in Vastu too it's it's better to have just regular shaped plots of land, mm. but I know there's you know the gore shaped and then sometimes yeah when you're on a, like a bluff top and then it kind of just comes down, you know, there's different land forms. But I like that you also connect it energetically as well with the with the site. And then so going back to feng shui and, and the interior spaces, I know we've looked at your home and you've kind of started to make some of the adjustments for those who aren't familiar with like feng shui remedies that you can do, can you kind of share with us some things around the home that you've changed or you've shifted or on projects that you've worked on and kind of the effects that someone can see or feel? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. You know, color is always huge. So, mm-hmm. you know, adding color to spaces, whether it's painting walls or painting or, you know, bringing in colorful artwork or something or, or, Rugs, throw pillows, blankets, materials that if you're, especially if you're living in an apartment and you don't have the opportunity to paint a wall, you can do it with curtains or wall hangings, textiles and things like that. So a lot of times color is a big, is a big change or can be a, offer a big impact for a few reasons. Number one, energetically, because different colors inspire different things in different people and color is a very personal choice as well, but also it helps to draw your attention to certain areas. So one very common infraction, which is what we call them in feng shui, which a fra- infraction is just something that you want to fix, is this issue of what's called rushing chi. So it's if the energy has a straight line and it could be anywhere. It could be down a hallway. It could be from your front door to the, if there's a back door that's in line with the front door, that can cause a rushing chi situation. So a lot of times color, again, whether it's in the form of textiles or painting a wall or artwork, that's going to draw your eye away from just this direct rushing chi situation. Because essentially, if your eye is rushing down to either the back of the home or the back of the hallway, all of these areas along the side are being neglected. So if you can, so for instance, you'll notice this in in hotels a lot, they're going to have one big long hallway, but they've done some of these in many hotels, they've done some of these little design interventions where there's pictures on the wall, or there might be a little table with a lamp, or they've done some lighting, and that is all going to help to slow down this infraction of rushing chi, because instead of only looking down towards the end of the hallway, 
your head is going to glance here to look at that picture, or maybe you're looking at that, you know, vase that's on a table on the other side of the hallway. So that's a big recommendation. A lot of times I'm really big on people's entryways as well, whether it's in an apartment or a home, because the entrance, the front door is considered the mouth of chi. It's also called the main gate. So I do whole workshops that's only around the entrance of the home and people bring in pictures of what their entrance looks like. So this is a situation where you could have rushing chi, stagnant chi, blocking chi. You know, if you have, and I, on our call, we talked, we didn't talk about door swings at all, but I remember you saying that Vastu doesn't really care about the way that doors no. swing. Yeah. So in feng shui, it's a, there's, there's a thing called contrary doors. So for instance, if you're, door, and especially if this would happen in your entryway door, if your door would open up to either a wall right in front of you or the small view of a room, that would be considered an infraction in feng shui because we want to see the big open view when we're opening a door because the metaphor for that is that it's not blocking, right? So if there's a door in your office and it's opening up to a wall, what is that metaphor every time that you walk into your office? Mm. It's like you're getting blocked to some, your perspective and your point of view and your outlook is getting blocked. So if that happens in your entryway, you really want to mitigate that because essentially every time that you walk, you're walking into your home, you're having this blocked view or, or lack of perspective in your space. Mm. So yeah, front door, bathroom placement, we look at, especially if there's a bathroom that's near the front door, you also want to remedy that because that's a lot of yin chi or kind of sucking, you know, lower energy that's right by the entryway command position is also very big in feng shui and that is it applies mostly to like a bed the positioning of a bed also a desk also the chair or sofa or something that people spend the most time in so the thinking behind this is that you want to have a view of the entrance or the door to the room without being in line with it and we talked about this on the on the other call but the thinking behind that is like this prospect, this idea of prospect and refuge, where you can see something that's coming at you, you're not in line with it, and then you have support at your back. Right here, this is not considered the best support because I've got a window behind me, right? So this would not, my desk is technically in command position, but I do have this window behind me. So something could theoretically like surprise me behind the window. Remedy for that would be to put a mirror here so I can see the window at my back. Mm -hmm. That's like I have the door behind me and I have a mirror on my wall because there's just a wall here just because right. in Vastu, very similar. That's And that's what's something interesting is like there are very a lot of similarities and I, and I hear a lot of the echoing of of what Vastu and, and Feng Shui are similar. So it's just it's it's really interesting um, to learn. Yeah. And I think they both really come from what is our nature mm -hmm. and what is the nature of nature, right? So there's been so much evolution and so much advancement in the human species in the last 150 years, mm -hmm. especially in the last like 50 years. But 150 years cannot negate 10,000 years of development. Like there's so much stuff that's really, really ingrained in our DNA. Like I'm sure, you know, people who at restaurants, they refuse to sit with their back to the door. Mm -hmm. I know several people just because they don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And like in this day and age, is that a rational fear? Mm -hmm. Probably not. Right. But it's, it's this fear that's been ingrained in people that they want something stable at their back and they want to see what's coming to them. So biophilic design definitely appeals to a lot of these really innate, really, really deeply grained 
patterns and responses in our nature based on us living in nature for tens of thousands of years versus us living in boxes with recycled air and water, you know, for the last couple hundred years. Mm-hmm. And you bring up a good point that I wanted to touch base on too is it's approaching these ancient studies and wisdoms with a modern approach. And that's kind of how I, you have to look at it with a modern approach. And I think one thing that we've also discussed is we study Eastern practices, but we live in the Western world. And the construction we have here is completely like anybody who was building any of our houses wouldn't have even thought back in whenever, you know, your, I think my apartment complex was built in the 80s. First off, would never have thought about, you know, referencing any Eastern practices or anything. They just probably just boom, pop this up and that was it. So it's interesting how we have to apply Eastern traditions and knowledge to the Western architecture. Mm. Yeah. Have you had a chance to go to China, by the way, to study? No. Okay. No, I've not. No, I haven't been to China. I've been to India a few times. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I've spent, I've spent a good, a good amount of time in India, um, but I haven't, I haven't been to China. God, it's interesting that. that I kind of did this flip-flop because I was for, for, I mean, a good like 10, 15 years, I was mm-hmm. very, very yoga philosophy, studied yoga, was going to India, studied Ayurveda. And I don't know kind of what made me shift, like why I didn't study Vastu, but feng shui just really spoke to me in a way that, and I, yeah, so I've kind of got my my foot in both the Taoist and the Vedic traditions. Yeah. And then plus my own European traditions too. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think you get, then you get kind of the best of both worlds too. And I think you can just only learn more from both. And it is interesting too, that you have a, a, background in yoga I don't know if I ever mentioned it but I'm also a certified yoga teacher and that so yeah I think I think we talked about that like a combining architecture and yoga so I think there's so much to say with you know we talk about our built environment and the energies around us but it also like you even have the background in Ayurveda so that has to do with the food the nutrition that we you know we put into ourselves and then yoga which has to do with the movement of our body and our mind and so really it's it's you can't just study one I don't think without studying the other few practices. Yeah. And that's what's really good about these wellness building standards that have come out, like well and fit well, because they really do encompass everything. So they talk about active design, which is, okay, so for instance, right now I have a standing desk. I'm kind of perched on my stool here, but most of the day I spend standing, like sitting is detrimental to my health and my mind. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds dramatic, but it really is. And, you know, so so some of these building standards have really come to pull in things from many different directions, because especially when you're talking about the space of your home, it's true. It's it's everything. It's like, what food are you eating? What food do you have access to? How much more fresh can that food be? What is your your mobility like? Are you very sedentary? Are you get, being able to, you know, get up and stretch and move around a little bit? And then, of course, you know, the physical space, whether it's talking about ventilation and, and air purification or water or your fenestration, like how many windows do you have? Do you get natural light? What is your lighting like? So yeah, there's, there's just so many things to, to consider when you're defining a space like that. No, absolutely. And I I don't mean to jump around, but you mentioned about in trees and I know you're looking at my floor plan um, right now and, and, or not right now in this call, but you're going to look at it. My entry, when you walk in, there's like a wall right away and then there's a bathroom yeah. as well. So you just like, I just heard red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. Is there, a, do you have a remedy? So if someone listening is like, yep, I exactly, when I walk in, there's no open space. Is there something that I can do to help For sure. with that infraction? 
Yeah. Yeah. So basically if there's a wall within, I mean, I think even six feet is pretty short, but if there, like I say, if there's a wall within like eight feet of a door, even 10 feet, because I uh, I mean, 10 feet, there's enough space, but six to eight feet, I think what you want to do is you want to do something that's going to extend your view. Okay. Mm -hmm. So mirrors in feng shui, there's two different schools of thought. I come from the school of thought where mirrors and a lot of things hold the power of the intention that you put in them. So there are hundred percent, a lot of feng shui practitioners that would say, do not put a mirror in that door on that wall that's facing the door because it's going to reflect all the good energy back out. Mm -hmm. I would also want to see exactly where your door falls. If your door is in the center of your floor plan, I would highly recommend to put a mirror there because that's a water gua. Mirrors represent water and feng shui as they do in Bastu. Mm-hmm. So essentially when you when you open up your door, you would want something that extends your view instead of just looking at this wall. So whether it's a mirror or whether it's like a landscape painting that you mm-hmm. that you feel that you feel draws you in, you want something to draw you into the home. Right. And then with the bathroom, that's another another option is again with a mirror to put a mirror on the outside of that door of the bathroom to reflect the energy out. Mm. And then again, depending upon where the bathroom is placed, like in what gua it is, there would be some other recommendations like, but you know, even things like putting flowers in there, having fresh flowers in the bathroom pretty regularly, swapping them out, you know, every, you know, several days or, or putting some plants in there to help lift that chi because uh, the bathroom is considered like a very yin space, very, you know, and it's got all these drains in it. So doing things that would help to lift the chi, whether it's, you know, plants, flowers. And then again, I would want to know what gua that bathroom is in for more recommendations. But the number two big things with the bathrooms that are right by the door, always keep that bathroom door closed. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you can do is put the mirror on the outside of it. Okay. I'm again, already, that's like reaching energy away. Yeah, I'm already yeah. designing. I'm already because <laughs> I want. I want to. I want a mirror. We used to have a mirror right outside our patio when you walked out, but we've kind of rearranged the patio. And it's. I like to just check my outfit before I leave, yeah, too. Totally. So this, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm thinking this perfect on the bathroom door. Put a mirror because not only can I just check that everything looks good, but it'll it'll reflect that energy. And so mm-hmm. okay. That's, and that's what I like is you can do these little kind of remedies and you don't have to I think some people think, you know, when you're like, oh, well, if I need to rearrange my home according to feng shui or Vastu or, you know, I have to remodel and start from scratch, but you can use existing spaces and use the, ba- you know, the existing energy that that's in the space. You just kind of need to work, massage it, work a little, you know, find those, find those things to help that energy flow through. Yep, Exactly. Exactly. And things can be non-physical too. You can do a lot of, especially in feng shui, you can, in in BTB feng shui, which is what I practice, you can, they have transcendental cures, which are purely energetic cures that are not, not changing anything physically, but it might be just this, yeah, you're, you're shifting the energy in a certain way, either supporting it or trying to guide it in a different space or stop it essentially. Mm -hmm. If there's too much. No, of course. Yeah. No. And you don't want too much energy. No, no. I know we've covered so much in our call last week. I know, which I'll, I'll link in the show notes comparing the two. It's just, 
it just it's so fascinating to see how you know throughout hundreds and thousands of years like people have found this practice and have found things that work with the energies i think it's sometimes hard to describe to someone you know what is it exactly that you have to do you know it's not like i said earlier it's not a prescription it's not simple easy equation on how can you you know move the energies of the home and so it's just I'm very interested in in feng shui and hearing about from you and then also seeing how the two differ. And I know you mentioned in feng shui that the, like you mentioned the entries are very important and that's where kind of your, like your grid starts, I believe it was. Yeah, exactly. So in BTV, we always lay, it's called the bagua Mm -hmm. from, it's called the con line at the bait, like the entrance of the home. So compass method is going to align it like you did in Vastu according to the cardinal directions, but I don't practice a compass method at this time. I practice BTB. So we always use like the natural entrance to the home. So it's important that that natural entrance is used. Even if a lot of people enter through the garage, I've had clients who, you know, they park in the garage, they usually enter through the garage. And typically the garage does not open to the most relaxing and beautiful space in your home, right? right? It's typically going to open up to the laundry room Mm -hmm. or to the kitchen. So I've had several clients where they always enter through the garage. And I said, when you come home from a really stressful day of work and you feel overwhelmed, take that extra 15 seconds to walk around the house and enter through the main entrance because the main entrance is, they just consider it for guests. Mm -hmm. Well, it should be for you too. So entering your home through really through the grand entrance, the main entrance, the space that is probably one of the more aesthetically pleasing entrances versus the entrance through the garage, where might I say, if your garage does open into your laundry room or kitchen, there might be some connotations of work, right? Mm-hmm. Like you get home from work and then you get into the laundry room and there's this subconscious level that there's laundry to be done or there's dishes in the kitchen sink. There's some work to do right in the kitchen. I mean, give yourself a break, (laughs) take a few minutes, you know, make a nice pathway, plant some flowers along this pathway so you can enjoy, take some deep breaths, enter in through this beautiful, spacious aspect of your home instead of walking right into a place that's defined by work, essentially. So that's just one of the, you know, when we're talking about cures and we're talking about not moving furniture around or not moving walls or adding windows, that's a really good behavioral cure that can happen. It can really kind of change how the rest of your day goes instead of, yeah, again, just dumping yourself in right into the kitchen or the laundry room. Mm -hmm. You have me thinking about so many floor plans. I'm thinking just like, especially walking into the home and like I, there's another project I'm just thinking like, cause we walk. Yeah. I mean, you made such a good point about the garage and how when you, so many of us, especially, and that brings us back to like Western culture. We all pretty much here, especially in Southern California, we all have cars. We all drive most of us into our homes through the garage because that's how we get to our home. We don't walk back to our home from work. We drive in. And so looking at that space, that's so true to take that moment, walk around and really enjoy and enjoy the arrival back into your home, into your space, into your like sanctuary. Yeah. And that's, you know, so feng shui is really big on metaphor and Mm -hmm. it's, it's seeing things through metaphor. So what is the metaphor again of entering into your garage, going through this probably very utilitarian looking door and then going into the laundry room or the kitchen. So what is the metaphor of that? It's just like 
being exhausted, being exposed to work, being exposed to more work. What is the metaphor of, I had a client who, she lived in an apartment. The first time that I walked up to her building, I was like, oh my God, it feels like she's being bound and trapped in here. There were so many power lines right in front of her apartment. And sure enough, yeah, I was just like filled with power poles and it really had the sense of just being kind of tied in and constricted, you know, asking her how she felt about the space. And she's like, yeah, well, my career isn't really going. I just feel like there's not enough space for me here. And I'm like, well, yeah, (laughs) I can see that I could, it was a visceral experience for me. So I don't know if that's so much part of, you know, boss do, but we really, really look at the metaphorical aspects of things. And at the end of the day, that's how our brains work. Like, right. We see things through metaphor and symbolism and patterns in the world. So even though a lot of this stuff is subconscious and someone can be like, Oh, that's not a big deal. Like it doesn't bother me, which then we get to like, what is the level of chi of the person living in that space? But on some level, you're, you're bringing it in on some level, your brain is registering all these little, you know, infractions. And if there is some shift and change that you can do within that, it can really change your experience of the world. Mm -hmm. And so then just a quick, not everything is going to affect everybody. Mm -hmm. So some people are much more sensitive and much more sensitive to energies. And maybe, you know, maybe their immunity is a little bit lower or, you know, whatever, whatever is happening. And some people have very, very robust chi. So that's another consideration that we take in feng shui is how sensitive are the occupants? Do they notice some of these infractions? Does it affect them if it's not if they've been in that space for a while and it hasn't affected them so far you know maybe we'll do a little remedy for it but nothing too grandiose unless it's part of their intention so it really is it really is this balance of not only working with the space but working with the inhabitants of the space and what is most going to support them Mm -hmm. absolutely i i agree don't force it either don't force it if it doesn't if it's if the energies are fine the way they are don't muddy them Well, Elle, thank you so much for coming on. This conversation flew by the last 40 minutes. Um, Thank you so much for coming on to talk about feng shui. And just really, just, I really enjoy talking to you the way you describe everything. And I think so much of what you share resonates with what I've been studying in Vastu. So, and you've got me thinking about, you know, the projects I'm working on and like, how can I better the floor plans to bring in that, you know, that chi energy. And so thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've always enjoyed talking to you and I'm excited to, you know, continue our our friendship. So Absolutely. And where can listeners find you? So my website is H-E-A-R-E dot L-A. And that's kind of my client facing one more for architects and developers is H-E-A-R-E dot agency, A-G-E-N-C-Y. And I have two Instagrams as well. One is here underscore L-A and the other one is here underscore agency. And it's H-E-A-R-E, which is like sound and space. So it's here as in presence and then here as in listening. So never, I was going to ask you why, why your company is called that, that. I like it. I like it. Very thank nice. You. Well, good. Well, thank you so much. Of course. My pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of From the Honeycomb Podcast. As we conclude, I want to express my gratitude for joining me in today's episode. I hope you have found it insightful and inspiring. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to rate, review, and click that like button so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to share this with your friends. You can follow me on Instagram at From the Honeycomb Podcast. And you can also further your support of From the Honeycomb by visiting the patron link provided in the show notes. Your contribution helps make more episodes possible. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to my monthly newsletter, A Spark of Positive Energy, that comes out on the 7th of each month. Thank you so much, and see you next Friday.